Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. All things considered, you know, all things considered. Uh, A lot of things to consider, aren't there? Yeah. Let's not get into them either. Let's just stick to Let's stick to our knitting here. Oilers hockey. Uh, we could be talking for hours about all the various issues of the world. So, Bruce, um, we are in the great position of being able to watch uh, Oilers hockey, or not Oilers hockey highlights, but uh, Oilers players in Europe. And we, we're watching now um, the games of the various prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, you watch some uh, Wild Bill Lagason highlights, uh, mm-hmm. the recent sign of the Oilers. And I and I'm gonna we're gonna so we're gonna start at the at the at the blog right now. We're gonna do player grades. And you think how can you guys do player grades? Well, our plan is to um, you know watch three, four, five players a night or something like that. Who's ever playing that night in Europe? Watch their shifts. Watch their games. Their shifts. We watch their shifts of of those players and give them a player grade based on our one to ten cult of hockey formula, at which. Uh, viewers and readers are very familiar with by now and uh, report back to you guys on what we're seeing from the various prospects and, and the kind of the exciting news for the Oilers from an Oilers perspective is there's lots of prospects over there there's a ton of Oilers players and, and the, these guys uh, there's lots of really really good players there's guys who are going to be with the Oilers next year like uh, Gaitan Haas, Yesapulia Yarvi, maybe Evan Bouchard, maybe Ryan McLeod, there's, um, uh, I just watched Marcus Niemelainen. There's Theodore Lenstrom. Um, who am I missing? Uh, about 11 more guys, David. There's 17 Oilers, 17 Oilers prospects that are players over there. I mean, from from uh, Adam Cracknell at the one edge of the Cracky. spectrum to uh, uh, a number of recent draft choices, which are obviously more in the center of our attention, like... Uh, uh, Philip Broberg, uh, Evan Bouchard, Raphael Lavoie, uh, Ryan McLeod, who you named already, uh, you know, who are all like top 40 draft picks in, in recent years. So there's uh, plenty of guys to follow and a few guys from the actual team, you know, with European roots that went home to play, like Haas, like Patrick Russell, like uh, Joachim Niegaard, and like uh, the recently signed and already reassigned Dominic Cahoon, who's uh, going to be playing in the German League with Red Bull München. The little Kahuna. So, uh, <laughs> they, uh, yeah, there's, uh, here, I'll, I'll just go, just here's just the draft picks. That, you know, there's Apoli Rassinen. We can, you know, I've right. never seen Apoli Rassinen play a game, so we're going to be able to watch his games. There's Patrick Sikanen. There's um, Matej Blumel. Thomas Missouri, I think, is playing. No, Missouri isn't playing. There's Maxim Denizhikin. There's Maxim Berishkin. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of like lesser, lesser, you know, bottom end prospects that we're going to watch as well now and then. So there's going to be lots to watch, and it's going to be very interesting because we'll see all this uh, European hockey, all these different leagues, all these. There's a uh, Maximov, all these different players. So I'm looking forward to it, and. Um, and, you know, not just the big ticket guys, but some of the smaller guys that we've never actually done any with our own eyes, see them play and describing their games. 
Right. Well, there's the 17 that I mentioned earlier. Those are guys under contract. And then the bunch of guys that you just named, uh, and and there's more of them besides, that aren't signed yet by the Oilers, but who have been drafted by the Oilers and yeah. are on their reserve list. And there's, I'm not sure how many more, but probably 8 to 10 uh, more more players than, uh, than that. I mean, the Russian netminder Ilya Konovalov is another player of, of uh, great interest over there who might be uh, in the nearer term than we know in terms of uh, plans for the Oilers. He could be in the picture as early as next season, as in 21-22. Uh, but there's uh, certainly lots of players to catch up with on. And I, I think uh, first our first probably priority is the guys that are under contract that are maybe closer to being contributors at the NHL level. Definitely. But we also have all those other guys that we can we can drop in on and check them out. And when the university college season gets going in the States, we'll have reports on Dylan Holloway and Carter Savoy. And uh, when the OHL season gets going on, Tyler Tulio. Tyler mm-hmm. Tulio. The guy I can never remember his name. Mm-hmm. Tyler Tulio. Um, not much in terms of major junior hockey. Not much oh, else yeah. going on. Oh, yeah. The Oilers uh, have really uh, gone away from drafting out a major junior. It's been years since I had a WHL player. Surprisingly. You're right. Since uh, uh, Stuart Skinner in uh, 2017. Kyler Yamamoto, yeah. Last WHL and Kyler Yamamoto that same year. Okay, so today we'll talk about... I, I'd watch games for um, McLeod, Haas, Pulia Yarvi and Nima Linen. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, let's start with. Uh, there's an interesting. There's some betting odds if there's a Canadian division out. Oh, yeah. So who do the who do the Vegas betting odds? What is, whoever the online betting odds probably more accurately. Who do the what's the ranking of the Canadian teams according to? Odd bet- Shark. Odd Shark. It is and, that's doing it. And I think they set the odds. I think the idea of setting odds is well, it's to make money for the gambling house, right? They, they, and they. <laughs> But they want to set it. I'm not exactly sure how they do it. Do you know how they set the odds? Like, it's not like who they think is the best team. That's not. No, it's that's who, where not, they think the bets are going to go. They're 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 in the bet, right? They want, or do they just need the bet to win? They just need people to mm-hmm. bet to win because they get their. They shirt. want. They want. They want to set it at a place where people people could go either way on it, and the, the house wins that little bit in the middle that they call the vigorish. And uh, I, I know very little about it, David, because I'm not a betting man. The only times I've ever darkened the door of a casino is as a volunteer on the house side of the business, which, and the house always wins. So, <laughs> counting all that money, you're the are you the the count room manager, Bruce? Is that your well, job? Yeah, that's, I've done that, and I've been the <laughs> banker, and I've been the assistant GM, and all of the different <laughs> things because of my ancient history as a banker. They they think I can count and. Okay, gotcha. Like that. So, uh, what I can count is uh, that the odds are generally against the better, which is why I don't bet, uh, even though I know it can be fun. Anyway, they've set Toronto Maple Leafs as the uh, betting odds on favorite to uh, uh, lead a putative Canadian division. And what's the uh, second team? Uh, second team is the Edmonton Oilers. And. Yeah, according to this article that just showed up on Sportsnet, they say the Edmonton Oilers enjoyed the highest finish in the NHL standings last season among Canadian teams, winning 37 games, racking up 83 points, and are listed as plus 250 favorites to claim top spot in an all-Canadian division. 
And then they go on to say the Oilers have not rested on their laurels during this offseason. In addition to signing defenseman Tyson Berry and veteran forward Kyle Turris as free agents, Evan has also welcomed back promising Finnish forward Jesse Pugliarvi, who rejoins the club after spending off season in Europe. However, the team has faced criticism for failing to upgrade its goalkeeping, sticking with the tandem of Mikko, Koskinen, and Mike Smith. So. Yeah, there's this idea. You know what? The most underrated player in the NHL right now might be Mikko Koskinen. That's all mm-hmm. I'm saying. That's my hot take for the day, Bruce. I mean, his his goalie save percentage was literally almost exactly the same as Jacob Markstrom. Mm-hmm. Just a, just one, you know, one, is that one one hundredth off? Yeah, one one hundredth off. Is it one one thousand? One one thousandth. One one thousandth off. And and uh, if it was one one. So, and he he is, you know, we have a problem in Edmonton, but in Calgary, they've solved it. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, does that make does that make sense to you, Bruce, or is it just me that thinks that well, that sounds a little bit odd? If you if they're going out and spending a, a big pile of money on a true number one, like J- Jacob Markstrom, what winds up happening then is they have Mikko Koskinen spending more time on the bench and delivering less value on his contract. I guess the dice roll is that Koskinen can step it up play more games uh, at, a, at, a, at a high caliber or reasonably high caliber, which he played last year, at least in the regular season, and uh, sort of put a Band-Aid on the, on the number two position with the guy that they know in Mike Smith at a lower salary, way less bonuses, and with the number three man in reserve in, in uh, uh, Anton Forsberg in the system, who at least is an NHL experienced goalie that they can uh, call on to you know, come up and clean up a mess, you know. So that's, uh, I think this year there's more of a plan B than there was before, and I'm certainly glad of that. Now, whether it's the right plan B is another question, but uh, I think um, Koskinen, what you don't want him doing is playing 95% of the games the way he did down the stretch in his rookie season after they traded out Cam Talbot. And Koskinen, you know, he was great for about 12 games, and then the grind got to him, and his game went steadily downhill for the next 12. And so you want to you want a backup who can play. You know, one game a week is kind of what you, minimum that you want out of your backup goalie. And the Oilers are relatively confident in Mike Smith. I mean, the way I look at it at this, David, in retrospect, the the five million a year that the Oilers supposedly offered for Jacob Markstrom. And let's forget about the seven-year deal and just focus on next year. Five million, yeah. they would have paid for that guy next year. Well, they added four top nine forwards, uh, at least in in theory, on paper, on electrons or whatever we, however we write stuff down these days. In Kyle Kyle Turris, Tyler Ennis, Jesse Pugliarvi, and Dominic Cahoon, the four of them combined have a cap hit of four point eight million dollars. Where would you rather be spending your five million? Is my question. It's when you start to get four players for one and they can all fit under your cap and they're all possibly really good players, you know, it starts to add up. So the Toronto Maple Leafs, Bruce, they added to their team. I'm just looking at cap friendly here. Wayne Simmons, Jimmy Vesey, Joe Thornton, Travis Boyd, who was a very good pickup. He's their Tyler Ennis kind of, or their Cahoon kind of pickup. He had a really good points per game. Mm -hmm. They added TJ Brody. And a Finnish uh, 26-year-old defenseman, Miko Leitinen. 
How do you think? So, how do you? What do you think of those pickups compared to what the Oilers picked up, Bruce? Well, you hear lots of buzz about these guys, but I mean, they're in the Leaf system, so you're going to hear lots of buzz about them. Yeah. I mean, this this Leighton is a real under the radar kind of signing of a guy who could, you know, emerge sooner than later. Uh, I'm with you on Travis Boyd being a, you know, another under the radar pickup. Joe that was Thornton. A nice one. Yeah. Joe Thornton. I mean, they've already got Jason Spezza. I'm not quite sure how they get fit both these guys. They're going to sort of platoon them and use one one game and one the next. I mean, there's different ways to do it. And the good news from Toronto perspective is they're not paying them a big bunch of money. Uh, unlike some aging superstars that, you know, still get three and two million dollars uh, in the late, later stages. So it's a nice idea. I'm not sure how much of an effect those guys will have. Uh, I, and I, they, they got Simmons because I guess Milan mm-hmm. Lucic wasn't available. So, well, Simmons. I mean, everybody loves Wayne Simmons, and, and <laughs> I don't know how many trade proposals I've read on the Oilogosphere over the years that had the Oilers doing something to somehow get Wayne Simmons. But everybody's remembering the Wayne Simmons of about three to five years ago when he was with the Kings, yeah. early on with with the Flyers, and he's one of these power forwards who, unfortunately, as he's entered into his early 30s his skills have eroded you know and his speed was never a plus for him but i think he can be considered a plodding skater right now absolutely zero questions about the guy's character or anything like that and i'm sure he'll help in certain situations but he's uh, uh i'm not sure he's going to solve uh long term or even many short term problems this, this is the thing about the people in hankering after these players like they often are hankering after the guy who used to be Wayne Simmons was a hell of a hockey player mm-hmm. like he, he in his prime he was he was a really really good power forward uh yep. second line type in the NHL but now no come on like maybe he helped the team and, and I, they're not counting on him to be anything more than a fourth line player so you know f- for them for him to be their Alex uh, Chase on or their James Neal and he's a heck of a lot cheaper than James James Neal, so I'll, I'll give them that. Um, Winnipeg, Winnipeg added Paul Stastny. I'm just, I'm looking, to, people will see me looking down here. It's because I have a second computer right. and it's, and it's mm-hmm. down here. Uh, so the, the, they added uh, Paul Stastny, Nate Thompson, it looks like they added, uh, Derek Forberg, Lucas Sabiza, Nathan Boilu. I think he's from Monkey Plate with the Habs. So, a smaller, smaller name additions to to that team. Touching um, up the defense a little bit. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe you know Winnipeg's a good team. They've got a lot of good young players. So, although I was reading, uh, I think it was Dom Lachishan of the Athletic. Mm-hmm. Someone had Josh Morrissey's contract as one of the worst ten contracts in the NHL, and I wow. thought, I thought really, there's lots of really bad contracts in the NHL, and and. Uh, at least Josh Morrissey, like, okay, maybe you're paying him as the, like a, a top pairing defenseman. Uh, and maybe you don't think he's that, but he's, he's a top four D man. Um, yeah. I don't see him having anywhere close to one of the worst contracts in the NHL. In fact, sure. I, I like the player a lot and I, maybe they're underrating him as well. I would, maybe the system that they're using of like, you know, statistic, the statistical <laughs> system that they're using Statistical systems. Statistical they hate. Systems. They hate eight-year contracts. You know, and, and in his case, the contract hasn't even kicked in yet. He signed it uh, last summer 
uh, as soon as his uh, negotiating window and uh, yeah, opened, one of those. He was parallel to Nurse, right? They both signed a basically the same extended two-year bridge at the same time. And as soon as Morrissey finished the first year of that bridge, they signed him to eight years, I think six and a quarter million dollars, a $50 million commitment to the player. But he's that only hasn't 25. hasn't even started yet. Yeah, oh, he's young. He's yeah, only he's, 25, he's a so. contemporary of Leon Dreisaitl. They played on the yeah. same teams together in Prince Albert and Kelowna. And they not were like deadly, deadly together. They were, they were fun to watch. It's not like the Mark Edward Vlasic contract, which Dom had as one of the worst contracts, and which is, uh, which is great a player, but too old to be given that much term. That's 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 a bad contract to me. Is big term, at bigger bigger dollars to an older player. Like that's just the the unholy trinity. Calgary added Markstrom, of course, Josh Levo, Dominic Simon. Uh, Chris Tanev, mm -hmm. uh, who's a, who's a good, still a good hockey player, but maybe a couple of years from now they're really going to regret that. Um, so, so they improved themselves in Vancouver. Of course, they got um, they lost Markstrom, but they have a good goalie, and they picked up Nate Schmidt from uh, from uh, Vegas, who's a hell of a defenseman. If you ask me, I really like Nate Schmidt. So, I actually like Edmonton's chances. I, you know, I'm not saying that the betting people got it wrong. Uh, with Edmonton and Toronto, of course, I'd have Edmonton on top because I'm a, I'm an Edmonton they were homer. On top last year, yeah, and they, they were on top last year, and they look to me like they've improved the most. Like honest, like when when I look at what they've added to the team, when you put Cahoon in there and Tyson Berry, I'll take. Uh, I like who the Oilers. Well, you also have to look at the subtractions, right? And in Edmonton's case, we're looking at losing out on Oscar Kleppbaum, which is you know a, a potentially. Uh, really changes the look of the of the defense. Um, so oftentimes, you know, that they talk about the additions, but it's a two-way street. Uh, yeah. Calgary got a couple of pretty decent under-the-radar players in Levo and Simon that I think yeah, could help their did. depth. They did. And they got Tanov and Markstrom from, from uh, Vancouver, and the Canucks replaced them with... Um, Braden Holtby, of course, and Nate Schmidt. And Nate Schmidt is a big ad for the defense. They, they gave up yeah. a third-round pick for a top-pairing defenseman. I mean, that's that's going to help your team. And, you know, not at that ridiculous of a contract. And uh, I think basically Vancouver played this, paid the same for Holtby and Schmidt as Calgary will pay for Markstrom and Tanev. And we'll see who comes out ahead in that equation. They got so lucky with when Schmidt fell into their lap, essentially. Like, they were heading to a little bit of a disaster, at least in the short term, for next season. But then suddenly in pops uh, Nate Schmidt, and and uh, and he's a hell of a player. Of course, Calgary lost TJ Brody. Right. As for Clefbaum, you know, and I've said this before, I'm, I'm less, because I'm so bullish on Caleb Jones. I think Caleb Jones, a healthy Caleb Jones, will be as strong as an injured Oscar Clefbaum was last year. Um, so, and I know not, not everyone's going to agree with that, but that's, that's how I see it. First, let's move on and let's talk about, uh, some of these players that we've been watching. And you don't want to uh, talk about the Habs, eh, and all their big additions? Oh, sorry. I, I missed the Habs. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's start in Toronto and went West. And of course, let's, Ottawa. But... Let's do that. I, I, I overlooked the Habs for some reason. Uh, I got in a lot of trouble with Habs fans because <laughs> I, <bet you did. laughs> I wasn't so keen on all, you know, I wasn't so keen on all their signings, right? Because it's because I've lived through in Edmonton. We've lived through that when you throw all that money at a mid-level player, 
we have lived through that. We have been there, Montreal Habs fans. And 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 I get the excitement because I was excited when they signed Mark frickin' Fane too and Benoit Pouliot. I you know I was I was reading all the hype and you know I hadn't watched these guys play. I didn't I didn't know. So and I haven't watched watch Josh Anderson play. I have watched Tyler Toffoli play. He's a really good hockey player, but um, I'd rather have Dominic Cahoon on one year uh, yeah. than the Tyler. Dominic Cahoon has outscored Tyler Toffoli the last mm-hmm. two years. He's outscored Josh Anderson, that's for sure. Now, Josh Anderson's a much different player. Like, he adds that power, the power element. So they brought in Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli. Uh, they re-signed Brendan Gallagher to a major deal. They brought in, uh, they re-signed Jeff Petrie, a 32-year-old Jeff Petrie to a major dealer. They have a young player, Alexander Romanov, who they're extremely excited about, who's apparently a very good prospect coming in. They brought in another goalie, Jake Allen, who's got... That was um, big. Uh, and then they gave him a new deal as well. He's got one year at four point three million left. So Bruce, they they made they were very aggressive in terms of uh, spending their money. It's, what's that? You got to my parents always used to say, "You got money." Is that money burning a hole in your pocket? They used yeah. to. Say. And yeah. uh, that's that's how Mark Bergevin he had the salary. They had the salary cap dollars burning a hole in his pocket, and he spent that that money. Well, they had. We talked about this on a few podcasts ago. They, their top six forwards on their payroll are all wingers. And oh, as God. as we recall in Edmonton from the Hope era, oh, building your team around wingers is, is a, a rather unconventional way to do it. The other unconventional thing is the big money they sunk into the goaltending. I mean, they're already paying te- carry price $10.5 million. And to add a second pricey, Netminder, they got a fourteen million dollars tied up in the goaltending position, and it's. I can see the reasoning for the gamble. I think sixty games of carry price might be better than seventy games of carry price, and and you know, be able to spell the guy off a bit with a competent backup goalie, which Jake Allen at least can be, but um, uh, that's a lot of tied up money, and and I think one thing they've done with these long term contracts, the guys like Anderson, Gallagher, and so on is that when their uh, rookie contracts start coming up on guys like uh, uh, Kotkaniemi and uh, Suzuki, that were excellent young players for them, but they're going to have to find cap room for those guys in due course, and they're going to find themselves a little bit strapped to to be able to make the kind of moves they might want to make. So so um, they're really high on Kotkaniemi and Suzuki, and this is why they're optimistic in Montreal as much as anything, because I think that I didn't, Watch them in the playoffs, so I can't comment. But they apparently played really well, and maybe they did play. Maybe they did play really well. So, so that could maybe these two players are ready to pop. Maybe they already have. But um, you know, last year they were they were still fairly they were marginal even strength uh, scorers. Um, Now they are really young. So if you're a Montreal fan and you have two centers, like these are two centers, right? And if Mm -hmm. these guys can both play and they actually are the first and the second line center on the team, then I'll change my opinion about Montreal if those guys can prove that. Uh, but they lost. But they're still going to have to, if they turn out to be those guys, they're still going to have to pay them. And I'll, right. I'll refer you to an ongoing situation on New York Islanders with uh, uh, Matthew Barzel, uh, who's just come to the end of his entry-level contract, and they haven't got any cap room to pay the guy, and there's, there's rumblings of a potential offer sheet, 
there's rumblings of the of the Islanders having to buy out Jordan Everly so that they have cap space for Barzil. You know, I mean, those are those are not exactly ideal situations. But when you when you blow the the cap, uh, blow the budget on veterans, then what do you do when your young guys come to the next level? It's it's you know you need a little bit of long term planning, and that's where to me Mark Bergman has dropped the ball. Coughed yeah. up the puck. Coughed up the puck. Yeah. Uh, not 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 everyone liked my uh, suggestion that Dominic Cahoon is a superior version right now of Jordan Everly, but I. <laughs> I will stand by that, Bruce. I will stand by that, and I will predict. My prediction is that Dominic Cahoon will at least have a higher points per per 60 at even strength than Jordan Everly next year. Everly may get more power play time, so may get more points. Yeah, yeah, that's but, the big But uh, Cahoon will outscore him on a rate basis at even strength. I, I will, I, I'm not a betting person either, but I would bet on that. Mm-hmm. It's happened two years in a row, and Cahoon's younger. So now the one thing with Cahoon, he did get a concussion last year and he also hurt his leg when he got to Buffalo. So he is coming off actually two injuries right in a row. And I don't, so that's always a little bit concerning, but players are, you know, that's, that's the life of the hockey player and they, they seem to battle back. Uh, so let's, okay. Are we ready? We, we dealt with Mike. We haven't talked about Ottawa, but we're, we we do not I'll say this about Ottawa. Down the road, they're setting up to be dangerous if they can never get the budget together to actually pay these guys into the heart of their careers. But they got a ton of young guys and a ton of draft choices and guys just coming around. And and in theory, you know, they're at the very early stages of what could be an excellent team if they manage it right. They got a ton of assets. So let's put it that way. Ron and a lot of veterans too: uh, Dadanov, um, Austin Watson, Alex Galchenyuk. They, they, I think they had already acquired Artem S. S- Anisimov earlier. Um, and who did they bring in on defense? I don't know why they traded for Zaitsev. That was the biggest gift to Toronto. Oh. Good for, uh, you know, Kyle Dubas gets a lot of heat from like the eyeball hockey crowd. Uh, he's made a lot of good deals. He's, I don't think he's gotten it all right. I don't know. I don't know if I like the Patrick Marlowe thing that he did last year. Maybe he had no choice giving up a first round pick there. To get rid of Marlowe's contract, but uh, Dubas has done a lot of smart deals, and um, I now that I, although the Kadri one for Tyson Berry didn't work out, but again, maybe maybe they had to move Kadri. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, Ottawa, Ottawa will be. They, they brought in some tough guys too, Good Branson and uh, Josh Brown, who's apparently a really hard-nosed, tough defenseman. And I remember him playing in the Memorial Cup for Oshawa, I believe it was, and he was really he was quite a good player then. And they, but they lost uh, their tough guy Borowiecki. Hey, Bor- I never know how to pronounce. Oh, that. is he a tough guy? Mark Borowiecki. Well, he's scrappy. he's a greasy, scrappy guy that will take on all comers. Like, I actually have a, a fair bit of respect for that guy. But uh, and, you know, he's kind of been a uh, you know sort of a part of the face of the Ottawa Senators, such yeah. as he's been not that recognizable over the years. But he's been one constant on that team. So. You know who else Calgary has coming in is uh, Yusuf Valamaki. And um, he he's a really good hockey player from what I've seen of him. He was injured last year, but he's a really good defenseman. And I think he's a, probably a top four, maybe even higher than that defenseman. So that's going to help the Calgary Flames. All right, let's talk about what we'll, we'll, uh, we'll deal with... Um, the Swiss forwards first, then we'll go to Lagesson and Pugliarvi and we'll end up with 
Poliarvi and Niemelainen. So I watched uh, one game each for our player grade series of Haas and uh, Ryan McLeod. And Gaetan Haas is he he was he's not uh, off to much of a scoring start. I think he's got one point in six or seven games in the Swiss League. But he's, he is playing. He's they're they're using him a lot. There he's playing the power play. He's playing the penalty kill. One of the fun things about um, watching these players in Europe is guys that don't normally pay, play the power play in north for the oilers play the power play in sweden and you get to see how they do and haas's problem on the power play he's a very good passer of the puck but he need, he doesn't have a shot gaitan haas's shot is pretty much for a, for a forward trying to make the nhl that's a real uh negative for gaitan haas he's really smart at tipping the puck tipping the puck in front of the net in terms of shooting at that is really not there so on the power play that kind of affects his performance at even strength, Bruce, I, 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 and again, he's one of these players who I really like. And the reason I like him is he's, I just find him to be so smart defensively. He just really reads the play well on defense. He's always on the right side of his man covering the defensive slot. Yes. More dependable at that, easily, I thought, than any other Oilers def- uh, center last year, including Riley Shan, who was supposed to be known for that. But but I think Haas is a superior defensive center in many ways to Riley Shea and at, at even strength because he's quicker, he's he's um, he's better getting the puck and going with the puck and making that first pass. When he gets the puck in his own zone, Gaetan Haas is very clever with the puck and he's quite strong in controlling it. And I saw that again, again in this game. There was no fans in the stands of, of the of the three games uh, that I watched or four games that I watched. It was the only one without any fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. The other ones had. Sk- both in Finland and in another Austrian city, there was, or Swiss city, excuse me, there was lot fans. And there, there seemed to be like every third seat uh, would be my guess, every fourth seat in most of these games. So, uh, yeah, Haas, um, he, he, he's going to, I, the Oilers are already, well, Bob Stoffer of Oilers now is already talking about maybe bringing in another fourth line checking center. But it looks like Haas will get a chance. We know Ken Holland's famous for, signing players and giving them a chance to do their job. Gaetan Haas is going to get that opportunity. And I think he, I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to uh, be a strong defensive center. He's winning a lot of face-offs. I don't know if he always has in Austria, but he's winning 55% of his face-offs uh, in the Swiss league right now. He's not scoring, but he will score because he's, he's a good setup man and he's smart in front of the net. So the points are going to start to come. And he, he looks like he's in, uh, you know, early mid-season form, he's he he's good to go when he gets to the Oilers. I'm keen to know what your impressions of him as a penalty killer. You know, I don't think I in that game I can't recall him being used on the PK, Bruce. Now I, I might be incorrect about that, but I don't think he was on the power play. But I don't know if he was on the PK. You know, the the one time we a couple times we saw him in Edmonton, he was good. But I wish he, yeah, I hope he was hope he would be used there. Maybe he will be in a future game. Also in the Swiss League, I saw Ryan McLeod play. And um, that's about the, maybe it's just on the European ice, the, uh, the, the wide open spaces of the, uh, you know, the European ice, he, it suits him. He was, he was flying out there. He scored two goals in the game I saw. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Oilers had put up highlights of those goals. Like on one, he kind of chipped the puck into the center ice area, the defenseman gets it and he strips the D-man, goes in and and then the other one, he comes down the wing and he scores. And 
those weren't the only good plays that he made, though. He was absolutely flying out there. And his combination of size and speed. And we, I remember at rookie camp when we first saw him live, how impressed we were in the three-on-three game, just what a rocket ship that guy is. Mm-hmm. This, this big, fast player. At the same time, Bruce, as compared to Gaetan Haas, who's actually a competition for the four-flying job, his defense is hit or miss. Yeah. His positional defense is hit or miss. He's often cheating, you know, what I would call. Now, maybe that's what they want him to do is go for the breakaway. But he's lining up at center, but he's not actually covering the defensive slot exceedingly well. And if they want him to do that, well, it seemed to me he was kind of up ice looking for the pass a bit. He gives away, he's, he doesn't, he's not as good or careful with the puck as a player like Haas. Haas rarely, he, you know, it's like Mike Pekka at the end of his career, you know, where he, Mike Pekka would be going down the wing and he, he would only take a certain kind of shot. He, like, I, I think it was like he would only go maybe short side, but not far side, because if he went far side, he might miss, and the puck would go down the ice and the other team would have a break. Like, Haas is thinking the game at that level, where he's every play he's making, there's, there's a two-way implication that he has in mind. Whereas McLeod's just flying out there. He really is flying, and it's great to see. But there still are, like, if he, I, as I could see him, Bruce, suddenly I could see him as a, a winger, in the NHL, a winger, third, he reminded me a lot of Tyler Pitlick all of a mm-hmm. sudden. Maybe not quite as physical as Pitlick, but with a bit more speed. Um, Pitlick, more a similar speed. amount of skill, but more speed than Tyler Pitlick. I mean, I, I think that's a fair comment. Um, a winger in that mold, kind of third, fourth line winger, Ryan McLeod mm-hmm. um, at this point. But but an NHL player, he's definitely got some NHL skills. Uh as a Big boy too, right? Yeah, he's what six one two ten or something six one two oh five something like that six two. I I don't know. I, I'll have to see more. So I'll I'll monitor that. But man, he sure looked like he could play the wing in the NHL tomorrow. And uh, I don't think I think they want to keep grooming him as a center. I think that's a good idea. It's going to take him some time to to really dig in defensively. If he's going to be a if you're going to be a center mm-hmm. on a third, you got to figure that out. You've got to figure out defensive slot play like Shane do, does to some extent. And like, I think Gaetan Haas is really good at. And uh, if he can just get a little bit more firm and conservative and um, making sure he's always on the right side of the puck in his own zone, in the defensive zone, the Oilers have a player there. I was really, that's the best I've seen him. Like I, I watched um, H, him in the HL last year. Uh, off and on and I was kind of you know come see come sell like he was you know he was okay but he he didn't you could see that flash of skill but um in the Swiss league well he could have a career in the Swiss league right now (laughs) (laughs) that's where some of these guys are going to wind up right it's equivalent to the Swiss league yes but uh, I I saw not that game but I certainly saw those two goals which were his first two in that league after five games, I think he had no goals and two assists, and I was starting to think, well, you got to better get a little bit offense going, and he got those two goals. And they're similar in a way, one where you say he kind of stripped the puck off the defenseman and burst past him. The other one, he just strictly burst past. So both yeah. times he, he was in alone on the goalie, and he beat the same goalie with the same shot twice, slow, stick side, fooled Good him. place to shoot. And, and, the, and the short kind of short side and the angle he was coming in on. And buried both of them, so he certainly looked good on on uh, 
on those plays. But uh, I mean, his speed is sort of his most prominent trait. And there was you didn't see any signs of him coasting or standing around watching. He was moving his legs all the time. You know, I, I saw him as yeah, he was moving the whole time. Good. You know, there's this there's this notion that he's a perimeter player. Mm-hmm. I mean, the European game's a little bit different, right? Than the it's just these wide open spaces where, you, where people are flying all around. You know, it's like a air, an airport terminal or something like that. Like it's just things going this way, that way, and and um, it's it's not like the NHL game, so it's kind of hard to tell. I did notice a little bit, like I said, a little bit of carelessness. What I would call lack of efficiency or carelessness with the puck now and then coupled with some absolutely fantastic passes and some absolutely fantastic rushes so so the high-end stuff there that will get you to the nhl ryan mcleod has that he can be an nhl player if he bears down defensively and gets really tough defensively i think he's an nhl player and so that's just up to him he's you know to figure that out and to, to work out when to leave, you know, when to go for the pass and when to, when to hang back. And um, so I, I think Haas will be the answer next year, but McLeod might be the answer uh, the year after that, after a season in the Swiss league, or if he ends up in, in the AHL this year. Uh, Bruce, you certainly got an NHL skill set, eh, McLeod? Oh yeah, he really does. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's good because we both kind of had seen him good, somewhat good moments. Uh, I like I like what you've said about both Lavoie, who you wrote about recently, and uh, and and Lagasin. I, I I can't remember exactly how you summed it up, but I I, I think you said something like I, I generally saw him pretty good or something like like yeah, what? for what? both players. So it was kind of a, a a good review, but you you can see the 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 holes in their game still or whatever whatever they are. What yeah, is it with that... Lagasin, Bruce? What what what, how, what did you see with him? Because let's let's move on to him. Yeah, sure. Uh... Well, at that level, like he, he's he's really been a journeyman. I mean, the Oilers drafted him in 2014, so he's entering his draft plus seven season now. He's been in our prospect series seven years in a row now, uh, and bumping around, you know, and just inside, just outside the top ten typically. And uh, uh, he's gone down, you know, a couple of notches, like the uh, Swedish second division, Allsvenskan hockey, Allsvenskan is uh, uh, a lower league than the AHL. Like, it's 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 to the SHL what the AHL is to the NHL. So the, the, the Alsvenskan is a bit lower. And you would expect a guy like uh, Wild Bill, 24 years old, lots of pro experience, played in the NHL last year. There weren't too, weren't too many NHL players on in the game that I saw, or games that I saw. And uh, he stepped in... A, Basically, as their number one defenseman, he's getting a ton of ice time. Uh, he's, I think, third in the league in ice time, 22 minutes 40 per game, and over 20 minutes every game. Uh, the one thing I didn't really, it didn't surprise me once I saw it, but I didn't really think about it in advance, was he's running the power play. And, I mean, you've got an NHL player on your team, you're going to use him, right? At least you're a smart coach, you're going to use him. And so he was uh, running the power play and doing a pretty decent job of it. And I was watching this, you know, the, the skills, you know, the passing and, and, and shot and so on, but thinking, you know, it's going to be a cold day in heck before he's ever running the Edmonton Oilers power play. So take it all with a grain of salt. But, you know, he was doing kind of the cleft ball thing of, you know, just playing center point, 
passing left, passing right, but he does have a he does actually have a wicked wrist shot. We've seen that in uh, Bakersfield. Uh, most notably, you'll probably remember this game that uh, the first game that Ken Holland went down to to uh, the AHL in the playoffs, where the uh, Condors made this great comeback, tied the game like super late in the third period. Tyler Benson, and then uh, they won it in the first first minute of overtime. I think it was seven to six, and it was. Wild Bill Agason, who scored the winning goal on a wicked wrist shot. You know what? He does score goals, and most of them he scores with that shot. He like, you know, he likes to poach a little bit. Like he'll move into the slot, like when the play is somewhere else, and uh, if the other guys aren't minding the store, he'll duck into the high slot. And if they get, if he gets the puck there, and a half second to do something with it, he can he can fire a very hard, accurate shot and. Uh, that's how he scored two of his three goals so far in in that league. It's off that uh, off that wrist shot. So I think the the thing I think that's probably most underrated about this guy is he's got way more offense than is generally credited. Uh, I mean, he had good good numbers in the AHL his his one year. Like he had eight goals, and nineteen assists his first year. There, that was the year that he played with Jones and Bear. And then Bouchard joined him in the playoffs. Now, all four of those guys are in the picture for jobs with the Oilers. And he actually scored the most even strength points that year of any of them. But he didn't play at all on the power play, so even strength was all he got. So he's, he's got some offense. He can pass the puck. He doesn't like to rush the puck. He'll, you know, he'll lug it out and dump it in, or he'll lug it out and pass it off. But at least not in the games that I saw that he try anything approaching end-to-end where... You know, drove hard into the offensive zone with it. Uh, but very smart in the distribution and good at when he wins, a, you know, involved in a puck battle where it's, you know, sort of a 50-50 puck, he'll get a stick on it and he'll chip it into a good area where a teammate can skate onto it. And, you know, he relies on his teammates. He uses his partner well. And for the most part, I thought his positional play was uh, was pretty good. And he had a couple times maybe chasing a little bit in the defensive zone. Kind of a little reminiscent. You know how Darnell Nurse sometimes will chase yeah. a forward yeah. all the way up into the outside the ring net line. And then all of a sudden there, there was a couple of, couple of plays like that. But um, uh, He's kind of a Darnell a, Nurse type, isn't he? Like in a lot of ways. Like just a, like not because Nurse lugs the puck more. But other than that, right. like kind of that kind of bigger physical athletic player. Um, who hits, you know? He's a disruptor, and, and he, yeah. you know, he, he likes to, you know, break the cycle as opposed to contain. He's much more an engage, take, take on the guy, you know, take him on physically, try and, you know, strip the puck off of him and, and get it going the other way. And uh, at that level of hockey, he's been very successful at that. And, uh, you know, he's put up pretty good stats in addition to all that ice time. You know, he's scoring points. He's in the top three in the league defenseman for goals and, and points. And third in the league in ice time. And even on a fairly mediocre team, which I think was 10th out of 14 in the league, plus six. You know, so he's winning his part of the game if you want to put, look at it in that light. And uh, uh, I, what I want to talk about that guy though is the contract. Wow, that, I think I think uh, Holland did a did a bang up job there, getting him at NHL minimum. Like what I was expecting, frankly, was one year, one way deal at 
820,000, somewhere in that range, a little below Caleb Jones. Um, but and to get a second year and both of them at the NHL minimum, and this doesn't affect the cap, but it just uh, does show the negotiating of Holland. The first year was a two-way deal, which I, I was almost surely would get a one-way, but only the second year is one-way. And that's the year that if, you know, they've basically given the guy a little bit, at least security uh, going forward, and he knows he's going to get paid. Uh, you know, it's not big capital letters paid like uh, uh, like some players, but he knows he's going to get an NHL salary for sure for the full season in 21-22, which is hopefully when they're back to playing games. And, and if he get, does get picked up by another team like Seattle, well, at least he's going there on a one-way contract with, uh, you know, it's still a pretty reasonable future. Like, we haven't seen the, the ceiling of this guy or anywhere close, obviously. And the Oilers hedge their bets here. Like, they have him for two years. So, in terms of the expansion draft, let's say Chris Russell gets hurt um, and doesn't... Well, he's, he, he's, come, he's close to already meeting his draft commitment right. for the expansion draft, but... You know, there's just one more option now the Oilers have in terms of the expansion draft. They have to make a defenseman available. It could be Russell. It could be Loggison now if Loggison plays enough games. So I, I like that aspect For, of it. 40 too. games you'll need to play or the equivalent of 40 games and however long. Yeah, and I like Let's say half the games of whatever the schedule is. If he does that, he uh, meets that requirement, which we talked about this, or I wrote a post about this back in July saying they should sign the guy two years and uh, – uh, he could meet that commitment. Well, with the Chris Russell signing, that's now kind of redundant and makes you wonder if the Russell signing was a little bit ahead of when it needed to be. But on the other hand, Laguson hasn't played those 40 games yet and there's no yeah. guarantee that he will. Whereas Chris Russell, you know that he's going to meet that qualification handily. Yes. So uh, I like Laguson. I think he could be this year a better player than Chris Russell. Um, possibly like, I mean, he, he's, uh, cause, cause Russell's fading a bit and Lagasin's in the prime of his career now and could step up as could step up another notch. Another uh, guy, he's, he's, he's really, physical. Adam Larson. yeah, yeah. He's Adam Larson's actually the better comparison than nurse for, for Lagasin. That's, that's a, that's a better idea. Cause he's kind of like nurse likes to jump into the play now, or excuse me, Lar Larson likes to jump into the play in the offensive end too, you know, make a little mad rush at the net now and then it never pays off. But, uh, Lagasin's that kind of, that kind of wild card in the offensive zone a little bit as well. And they're both big, rugged guys who, who will hit and are, and are nasty. And that's why I, that's what I like about wild bill. I think he can be a bottom pairing defenseman. I like him as a seventh defenseman. And I wonder if the orders will go ahead. There had been talk of bringing in a Madison Bowie. Uh, I'm not so sure that's going to happen that they'll bring in another defenseman. Now they, I, they seem, they seem pretty stocked up with, a, they've got a lot of defensemen and I think they should give Lagosin a chance to play. And I think he can, if there's an injury, Wild Bill can play on your bottom pairing in the NHL and hold his own. That's what I would say. And and I don't have any hesitancy about saying that. And I don't think they need to cover themselves with a veteran player. They have a veteran player in Bill Lagosin who's earned his way <laughs> more than anyone else in the Oilers, paid his dues within the Oilers organization. And uh, it's time for him to get his opportunity. He's played in six different leagues since he was drafted. 
That yeah. includes eight games in the NHL. Anyway, with the case of Larson, his contract's expiring in, at the end of next season. And if Lagerson can make a solid impression, he might sort of change the game plan going forward because he does have some of the similar, you know, the cycle-busting physicality. Uh, I'm not sure he's quite the mean son of a gun that Adam Larson is, but uh, but he's got, you know, some, he, he, he could enter that conversation and... Uh, that could uh, develop that that kind of possible solution of how yeah. how you're going to replace Adam Larson once his contract expires. Do you have to extend him, uh, or is there another option? And and maybe he's that other option that, that he, hopefully in 21 uh, upcoming season he'll get a, you know a decent amount of ice time to show his stuff. He does play both the left and the right side, as does Caleb Jones. I think as does, if I'm not mistaken, Broberg in Sweden. Uh, as do, um, well, Russell, obviously Larson, of course, is on the right side. So, you know, they would need a, probably a different solution than Lagerson, but they are, if you want to have that one really rugged defenseman on your team, if you need that guy, that, that could be Lagerson and he, you never know, he could earn that spot. So Bruce, yes, a I watched, uh, mm. he had been, um, really strong in his first games in Finland. And then they took up two, two, uh, two week break and they came back his team uh, carpet and the Olu carpet or carpet Olu. I'm not exactly sure which, which it is. And they, they were on a bit of a losing streak and then they came back and they won a game in overtime where pulling the RV scored the winning goal. And that's the game that I saw. Okay. I'm not going to hold it against them. If, if the whole team was a little bit flat after two games off or two weeks off because of the COVID uh, quarantine they were under, um, Pulliar, like, did you, uh, did you watch, I was a big college basketball fan at one point in the 1980s. I, I don't follow it anymore, but, um, there was an announcer called Al McGuire, who was an absolutely fantastic, uh, former coach of the Marquette Warriors and a fantastic mm-hmm. color man. And he had a description for a certain kind of player, you know, the kind of the, um, Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon, Sam Bowie, Ralph Sampson in that era center. Mm-hmm. And he called them the aircraft carriers. And Bruce, <laughs> watching, watching, yes, a pulley, oh. he is the aircraft carrier of the Finnish league right now. He is a total aircraft carrier out there. He's big. Yes, a pulley is big. And he is skilled. And, and at skilled. this level, at this level of hockey, yes, if he wants to be a folk hero in Finland, he can just stay over there and play his career in Finland because he is, he is dominant in that Finnish league. He is so good. He really is. And it's, and it's a, it's a just fun to watch him play. Uh, he, I don't know, like he wears a, everyone else on this team has a blue helmet when he, when they're on the road and he has his ye- gold and yellow. Oh. Helmet. And, and I don't know what that's like. Is that a leading, thing? Leading scorer on the team wears a gold that, helmet. Okay. That's, that's team. what I, okay. So he's got the gold <laughs> helmet. Not allowed to hit him or something. I'm not quite I sure what the, what the, what the, what the, uh, yeah. Uh, what exactly it means in at, at the game level, but uh, that the, so, the guy with the gold helmet's the top scorer. So here's he, and he's very, of course. Um, when I'm watching players, they're always reminding me of players from the past. And so a couple comparisons of this class of player, but I'm going to go with one in the mid level. He reminded me quite a bit of Vladimir Rojitska. Oh. Rosie. Rosie, yeah. Who had, I think, uh, one really good year with the Oilers, didn't he? And one really good year with Boston. Or was it just with Boston? Did he ever have a good year here? Anyway, he was a, he was a big range. He rangy. won the cup here. 
Yeah, big rangy. They didn't play. Big yeah, rangy didn't. Czech yeah. player who could really move with the puck, could fire the puck, could make plays. Didn't fit on the Oilers because I don't think he ever got along with Messier. That's kind of there's a little bit of reminiscent. Uh, he wasn't, yeah. He wasn't a bottom six player, and that's where they're using him. Boston got him into a scoring position, and that's where he succeeded. And he went, he went on to become a pretty famous coach over in Czechia. He did. So, so it's that kind of big, and we've seen this kind of European player, this big aircraft carrier. You know, the top of the class would be like Matt Sundin, <sighs> Alexander Yakushev. You know, just below that, we'll have guys like Ivan Halinka and Rizitska. And hopefully, Puliyarvi. I think that's where he might fit in 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 that level. Um, I don't think he's at the very top level of you know he's not in the Sundin Yakushev aircraft carrier class. You know, he's in the next level of aircraft carrier. And um, but he could do. I, I, I'm I'm excited to see him in Edmonton. I hope he I hope he does well here. And he's just killing it. He he just he on the power play. He's really good. He scored the winning goal in overtime. A power play goal where he was in the high slot on his off wing and he one-timered it into the net. Um, he's he's a little bit physical. He's just really strong with the puck. He's moving it well. He's playing with confidence. It's great to see, and hopefully that continues. I don't know how many times I heard the comment that Pugliarvi should be in the left circle on the Oilers' uh, top power play while he was here, but uh, uh, more than a few times. Uh, but he never really got that shot. But... Uh, and he won't next year with Nuge there. Like he's not no, going to. Not on the first Nuge. unit. No, not on the first unit. He might get uh, you know some few seconds on the on the second unit. And yeah. well, that's but, all they get, Bruce. Is a few. No, <laughs> they get the five second shift. <laughs> the five. And they better they better be ready to transition from the end of the power play to suddenly facing the other team's best line, as uh, Dave Tippett pointed out in his uh, uh, in his recent avail. Well, maybe with they have. Uh, RV, Taurus, and Ennis, maybe they could get it done um, in that situation. And with a couple, like, you know, if they have Bear and Nurse out there with them or something like that, you know, that might work at the end of a power play facing facing the other team's top unit. So um, the last player that I watched, Bruce, was the was Marcus Niemelainen, who I haven't seen in years, haven't seen him play in years. I watched some of his junior games uh, in Canada and then for the Finnish junior U18 team. So he's a big guy, 6'6", six, 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 I think, 220 or something like that, 210. Great big guy. He's been playing in Europe recently, recent seasons. And I was curious to see, you know, there was always the hope that he would develop some offensive skill. And with that size, and he's a fairly decent skater, he would develop into an NHLer. And, and then last year, the Oilers signed him to uh, an entry-level contract, which surprised the heck out of me. Because it didn't look like he had ever developed into that player. So I've only seen one game window. And honestly, watching him, I was thinking, why, why, did, why did they sign up to an entry-level contract? Because his puck moving, Bruce, like at least the game that I saw, it's not there at an NHL level. It's just not there. And maybe he just had a bad game moving the puck. So we'll, let's file it under that. Bad game moving the puck. So I was thinking, is there anything? And yes, there is something there. He is a, he's quite a ferocious, he's for a, for a, a player in the Finnish league right now, he's a, he's, he, he laid out a couple hits and he was pretty nasty in front of the net. So I'm going to say if Marcus Niemelainen, like if, if you're going to make the NHL, you know, climb that Mount NHL, 
you have to have a lot of tools, right? You got to have like, you know, maybe it's the slap shot that gets you to the next level. And then, but to get to the next level, you got to have some other tool, which maybe is like good hockey IQ. And then to get to the final level, like to get closer to the mountaintop, you have to have defensive acumen. So his, his tool is going to be, he's huge reach. So he's a, he's very good penalty killer with that huge reach, especially he, he's a decent enough skater to play in the NHL. And if he, if he's ever going to have a hope, though, he's going to have to get really mean and even more aggressive than he is now. He's stepped up in that area, mm-hmm. and uh, he's going to have to become a really physical hockey player because that's how I see it. I, I'm not sure what else is going to... It's really hard to make the NHL, obviously. They all want to do it. They all want to make the, the NHL money, have the NHL lifestyle. That's what that's what will get him there, if anything, would be that a big guy who can really hit. I don't see this kind of, there's not a lot of players like this in the NHL, the defensive defenseman anymore. Um, you know, just the total defensive defenseman who's not great at moving the puck. How many guys like that have NHL jobs anymore? Chris Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> there's, you know, there's a few of them Justin, kicking around. Justin Hall like that in Toronto? I haven't there, seen him play. Is he yeah, that guy? There's, yeah, I don't kinda, know. There's, I there's a few of them kicking around, but there's, uh, uh, they're, you know, they're becoming rare birds. And there, uh, uh, you know, people, there's just more emphasis on quicker puck movement uh, rather than defending, you know, uh, spending time in your own end defending, getting the darn puck out of your zone and uh, getting it up to the forwards. And, you know, even defensemen who don't necessarily do a lot in the offensive zone, if they can at least get the puck moving in the right direction, that has value in it. If you can't do that, you're uh, you're in for a long haul to even make it into the NHL. Already, he's got um, he's got uh, he's with the year the Oilers drafted him from Saginaw Spirit, first pick in the third round. He had one goal and 26 assists, and he looked like a promising young guy. He looked like a young Martin Marinson, you know, six yeah. five, 120 pounds. Looked like he was made out of pipe cleaners, and I guess he's filled out some. But since then, he's played five seasons, and he had one goal in four of those seasons, and he's never had more than six assists in any of those seasons. I mean, there's yeah. just no offense, either in the OHL or in mostly SM League, uh, Finnish League that he's played in. He's he's uh, defense first and last, it looks like. Yeah, so again, if I'm completely honest and somewhat uncharitable, I question why they handed him a contract. Like, uh, I, it doesn't, you know, just on first viewing, but we're going to continue. It's it draft and follow or sign and follow, Bruce. We're going to, exactly. we are at the Cult of Hockey. We are on this. We are going to be watching future Marcus Nima Lining games and give you updates until we, we cannot bear it any longer. Uh, or he shows us otherwise. He will prove us wrong. He will prove me wrong and uh, show that puck moving ability. But again, if he hits like crazy, he's got a chance. And, and he is hitting. He's, he's, he looks nasty. So got to give him that. All righty. Well, I think that, uh, that pretty much sums it up for Oilers news. So you're up next, Bruce. Uh, so on, I think on Sunday when you post next, I, I'm going to be posting tonight on these players that I saw saying, writing mm-hmm. much, much of what I just said here. Uh, but you're going to be tackling some of the Swedish league players, uh, yep. for Sunday night. Yep. Um, and um, we'll go from there and we'll probably alternate, you know, I'll do the Swedish players and then, you, you know, we'll, we'll get a, we'll pr- try to watch all of them. And this will culminate with, when we, we're going to come up with new cult of hockey prospect rate rankings. 
and um, based, and this will really help us give, I think like we'll have a better sense than we've ever had before from watching all these guys, um, exactly who should be ranked, ranked where, I don't know if it would actually change the standings that much, but uh, seeing them play as just opposed to going on stats and what the scouts say, but we'll be able to tell with our own eyes and our, have our own impressions. Of course, and we'll be able to see a lot of games too. Like we won't just have to rank them on like five games. We'll, we'll be able to see them play 10, 15, 20 games before the NHL season starts. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing this season's going to start sometime in, uh, in mid-January would be my bet. We're still so, aiming for January 1st, they say. So Is that what we'll they're see. saying? Yeah, that was what was said today. As Brian Burke says, they've got to play. And, and they do have to play. They, they will be playing. They've got to play. Um, you can't run a business and like this, people will start to lose interest. Um, they already are. Lots of people have dropped off in terms of interest in the NHL. Like, I mean, what? Like, if you're an Oilers fan, there's been four games in eight months. Twenty months. How eight have we been months. doing these podcasts, Bruce? What have we been doing? <laughs> watching games in Europe. Watch, That's watching, exactly our- watching playoffs without the Oilers in them. We're, we're used to that. So. I didn't. I couldn't bear to watch the, much of the playoffs, honestly. Once the orders right. got out, I couldn't. I couldn't watch it. I was just. I don't know. I just lost. I just lost heart in the playoffs after the orders went out. I was just really disappointed and never. I was about to get. I think I've said. I was about to get interested in the Canucks and they got booted. I was about to get interested in the Islanders and they got booted. So that that was it for me. I I I might have watched five minutes of the Stanley Cup final and I usually watch all of that, but I just didn't. I didn't have any interest. Well, I mean, Tampa Bay versus Dallas in Edmonton. I mean, what could get more? What could get more intimate than that? You know. So before we sign out, I mean, we were talking about defensive defensemen earlier, uh, and one who just passed away, Jim Nielsen. Uh, the chief. Start, the chief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First Nations uh, defender, one of the early ones. He played uh, a long, long NHL career, one thousand twenty-three games. Wow. Uh, from 1962-63, broke in at age 20 in the fall of 62. That was my first year of watching hockey. And after playing in the NHL for, what would that be, 16 years, he finally finished out the string right here in Edmonton playing for the WHA Oilers in 1978-79. How many games did he play? 35 games. I don't even remember that. Oh, I don't I have no memory. I was a season ticket holder at that time, and he was he was a snail's pace uh, veteran uh, player, you know, with all the smarts in the world, let the puck do the work, clear the front of the net, and, you know, don't make any mistakes, and he, you know, he contributed, uh, you know, he played about half of that final WHA season where the Oilers actually finished in first place. He was a plus player, he didn't score much, but he, uh, uh, you know, he was... Uh, literally playing out the string, but uh, it was fun to watch a guy that had, you know, so much NHL experience. You could just see the smarts on display, even as the skills had significantly eroded. I loved the WHA. It was just so chaotic. Huge, it was so, as, as, they, as the kids say now, it was so <laughs> random. Like, you know, I remember there was there would be times when they would trade like four or five players on one team for four or five players on the other team. Or there would be times when a team would fold and suddenly you'd get five players and the other, you know, you'd get five <laughs> new players coming in. And, and, you know, Gretzky came in like uh, yeah. after a backgammon game. So it was just such a random 
fantastic league with all these characters. Of course, they didn't wear the helmets back then. And I understand most players didn't. And I understand why they wear them now. Of course, you're going to wear a helmet playing hockey. But it, it really did add to the color and character of the game when you could so clearly see the players' faces and their, you know, their big bushy hair, Ken Baird. And yeah, that was that was a hell of a league. But I do not remember Jim Nielsen. Oh, someone's knocking on my door here. We better go. We better go. All right. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Thanks for talking. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. I have I have no idea who this is, but I better get it. Maybe it's a home invader. All right. Talk to you, talk to you later, Bruce.